Well, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me uh, to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Um, if you're visiting with us, maybe are new to Christianity and aren't familiar with the Bible, we're glad you're here. So we've printed the text for you on page 8 of your worship guide. So Colossians, chapter 1, um, starting with verse 9, reading through verse 14. This is God's Word. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. Asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let me ask God to bless his word preached. Would you pray with me? Father, as we come to your throne, it is because we long and need to hear the voice of Jesus speaking through your word. And so we pray that by your spirit, you would teach us in ways that we are deeply transformed. You would confront us where we need to be confronted, that you would heal us where we are most broken, that you would, you would soothe the wounds of sin and Satan and life in a broken world so that we could be strengthened by the glorious might of Jesus. And so we pray this in his name. Amen. Well, we're on the constant search for the thing that will fix us. It's just, it's part of our culture. You know, we are, we're not only on a constant search, but just, we just love for things to be quick and easy fixes. Um, and so we're always looking for the silver bullet. And I'm, I find myself constantly falling into this trap. You know, what's What's the silver bullet? It's got to be out there. Um, you know, you Google uh, endlessly just trying to find it. Like there's this hidden gem of wisdom out there that if you could just discover it or that hidden diagnosis that if it's just discovered, then the fix will come. It'll be quick and immediate. But really deeper than just looking for that silver bullet, that quick fix that will lead to change in our lives, we're really on that search in that for power. What is the power that will come and, and transform us? We intuitively know that we're dependent on something out there to fix whatever's going on inside of here. And so we look to the food God with his promises that if we eat the right things and have bodily health, then that will lead, that's the key that will unlock inner peace the end of suffering and the doing away with the just general malaise that most of us feel most of the time. Or the education, God, that if we just get the right education system and practices in place, then we can put an end to hatred and violence in the world. Or the success, God, that if we succeed in our field, then we will find happiness and joy and we are looking for the key that will unlock any of those things. They come with promises of deliverance. And these things subtly sneak their way into the hearts and minds, the belief structures of 
God's people. See, it's not our, our problem isn't that we do away with Jesus. It's that we try to add certain things onto him and to his ways with the hope that that will unlock the key. The, it's, it's, so, it's not so much that we abandon Jesus, but over time, suddenly we feel like we just need a little bit more. We need Jesus plus a little bit more of something else. And this is the problem that Paul is dealing with in the Colossian church. They had taken a little bit of the Jewish culture of the day and a little bit of the Roman myth system of the day and were combining it to form Jesus plus just a little bit more. Jesus held a prominent position in the church in Colossae. It was undeniable. They were Christians. He held a prominent position in the church, but he did not hold a exclusive and unique position in the church. And so here's what Paul is addressing. He reminds them of the utter uniqueness of Jesus. In verse 3, he is the son of God the Father. He holds a unique position. He has a unique essence. He is God in the flesh. Verse 15 and 19. He has unique power. Verse 16. He is the creator of all things. He is uniquely involved in the world. He holds all things together. Verse 17. He has uniquely defeated the enemy of death and started a new creation. Verse 18, he is the beginning, the firstborn of the dead, referring to the resurrection of Jesus and the ushering in of all things new. He is uniquely capable of holding the unique position of being the one on whom we can put all of our hope and trust. He is sufficient. He is enough. And so this is where we are going today. Where we're going today is to see this, that when you come to a relationship with Jesus, when you enter into life with him, you enter into a whole realm of being. A new realm where Jesus reigns and deals with all that we need for him to deal with. And here's what I mean by entering a new realm. There are certain events that happen in our lives that are, we'll call, epic-changing events. Those events sort of define life. There's the before those events happen, and everything else that happens after that event is defined by that. Marriage is one of them. The moment you take your vows and you give your vows, you enter into a new realm of being. And the way these epic changing events work is when you enter into that new realm, like an event happens, and then the whole rest of your life, you're just trying to figure out how to live in that new realm of being. Marriage, giving and receiving vows, an event happens, the whole rest of your life, you're trying to figure out what it means to be husband or wife. The event changes the reality, and then you grow into it. Having children is another example. Becoming a parent happens, the event of birth, and then you spend the rest of your life just trying to figure out what the heck you're supposed to be doing. 
with these little things that are running around in your house. You're just trying not to mess them up the rest of your life. You kind of grow into it. Event changes, enters into a new realm, and then the whole rest of the time you're growing into it. And so this is what Paul is saying to the Colossians, that when they entered into a relationship with Jesus, it changed everything in their lives. It entered, they entered into a new realm of being. Look at verse 13 and 14. He, Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what the father did. He he transferred us from one kingdom to another in whom now Jesus we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sin. And what Paul's doing is he in verse 13 and onward, or three and onward, he is praying, he's conveying his prayer life for the Colossian church. He's praying basically in these verses from three all the way through verse 14 that they would grow into the new reality that they've entered into when they came into a relationship with Jesus. And this is the language he uses, this new reality. The Father delivered us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, Verse 14, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. This was all done in verse 12 by the Father who qualified us to share in the inheritance with the saints. Now, we just got done studying the book of Exodus. And here's what I want you to see. Paul has the Exodus narrative in the back of his mind when he's writing this. You see the pattern? He delivered us from a kingdom of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the beloved son. In this kingdom, we have the redemption, the forgiveness of sins. At the end of that, the father has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints. Deliverance, redemption, inheritance. That's the Exodus narrative. It's a rough sketch of what God had done for the people of Israel. And again, we see this pattern that that what God was doing in the Old Testament was ultimately pointing forward to what he would do in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And these two things that are going on here in verse 13 and 14, kingdom transfer, redemption, tells us what our greatest need is, where we need the power of God applied most deeply in our lives is to have the problem of sin and Satan dealt with decisively. And Jesus, in his unique position, is the only one who can defeat these enemies and deliver us by his power. He delivered us from the kingdom of darkness. Also can be translated this way. He rescued us. He rescued us from the domain of darkness. That's hard news to hear. It's the hard news of the gospel. If you're not a follower of Jesus, here's God's assessment. You belong to one or two kingdoms, either the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of his beloved son. The other hard news of that is it forces us to kind of look at reality now through a different lens. There is real evil in this world and it is really at work. And the darkness of Satan doesn't just manifest itself in drug addictions or wars or strife or oppression and injustice. It also manifests itself. The domain of darkness also manifests itself in this, in self-righteous people who condemn the broken, 
He is behind both because both are just two evil ways of stiff-arming God and rebelling against him. And so Jesus went on a rescue mission. This is why we frequently say none of us are so broken that we are beyond the rescue of Jesus. And none of us are so whole that we don't need Jesus to rescue. He went on a rescue mission to pilfer the kingdom of darkness. And at the cross, this epic war of kingdom battle came to a head behind the unjust trial of Jesus. The false accusations was the machinations of the evil one, the kingdom of darkness working. Behind the cruel taunts of the soldiers lay the evil one at work. Behind the religious elite who conspired to crucify the Son of God lay the kingdom of darkness attempting to snuff out the kingdom of God's beloved son. And here is the wisdom of God. The kingdom of darkness won that battle. And the son lay dark in the grave. And in the great wisdom of the father, the defeat of the son became the means of the rescue. The blood that was spilt atoned for the sin of the rebels who needed to be rescued from that kingdom. As the evil one struck the son and his blood was shed, the blood provides our redemption, our rescue from the darkness. And by his death, one author writes this, puts it this way, by the death of Jesus, Jesus saved us from the dominion of sin, which is darkness, from the dominion of Satan, who is the prince of darkness, and from the damnation of hell, which is utter darkness. And he saved us into the kingdom of his beloved son. And in this kingdom, there is a whole new way of life. A whole new economy. A whole new way that the king deals with us. You see, in the ancient Near East, this language of kingdom defeat and kingdom rescue, kingdom uh, conquering, it's not unheard of. It happened all the time. Nations rose and fell in the ancient. Nations rise and fall today. It's happening all across the world, all the time. This world's not a stable place. And in the ancient Near East, when a king conquered a kingdom, he would take the people of that conquered kingdom and make them his slaves but not Jesus. He conquered the kingdom of darkness to rescue, to bring us into the kingdom where the Father's love is poured out on those who were once rebels, the kingdom of his beloved son. A a new economy is a place. Redemption here in verse 14, 13 and 14. Redemption is the language of the marketplace. The world of buying and selling and in the economy of God's kingdom where slaves are rescued and not made slaves in a new kingdom but made beloved sons by the cost of Jesus. He redeems us by spending the resources of his own blood and when that cost is paid there is now in his kingdom forgiveness of sin. How much redemption You can measure it by the degree to which the sun soars to reach 
the cost of our redemption. The Son soars to the heights of heaven. He came from the Father. And so there is no limits to the forgiveness of sins. You want to know to what length the love of God goes? Measure it by the length to which the Son came down. The Son soars in His rescue of us to the vastness of creation, for He made all things and holds all things together. And so your sins are separated from you as far as the east is from the west. The Son soars deep into the Father's love, comes from the Father's side, and those who belong to Jesus Christ have these words placed on you just as the Father loved me, so I love you. Measure. Measure the redemption by the height, the width, the breadth of the Son of God who by His blood transferred us by paying our debt and bringing us into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. Here's the thing. Where are you going to find rescue and redemption to that degree with that kind of power and with that immense love? Do you need anything else? He holds the preeminent position and should be unique and all that we need because in him literally is all that we need. There's no secret out there that we need to uncover There's no perfect mate. Students said if you find, then you'll have perfect peace. For that person is just as stuck and wounded and broken as you are. But the son, he's enough. There's no secret in organic or non-GMO. Those things are good. Maybe, I don't know, I'm not a nutritionist. They may be good for bodily health, but they cannot rescue or redeem you. Jesus alone can hold that unique position. By his power and his blood, he redeems and transfers us from slavery to sin and Satan into the kingdom of God's beloved son. But that's not enough because in this new realm, there's a new way of living. So this is also what Paul is praying. They would pray, he's praying that they would not just know this, but that they would assent to it, but that they would bank their whole life on it. And therefore, verse 10, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. There's a lot of confusion that happens in the Christian life because we fall into this trap of thinking that there needs to be something more than just Jesus. And here's what Paul's praying. In him is all that you need. But if we treat him like a ticket to a future event, we'll never really get that. Instead, we've got to change the metaphor. Instead of being a ticket that gets us into heaven one day and therefore has no value in the present world, we need to treat it, him, Jesus, as an entrance into a whole new realm, like a doorway in which we walk into a house And in that house, there's a whole new way of doing things. There's a whole new way of walking. Right now, he's enough. So on top of your sermon notes, there's this quote from N.T. Wright, and it reads this. To realize 
that one is complete in Christ. Right? That's, it's, and that's such a throw-off line. It's just not easy to realize that one is complete in Christ. That's why Paul's praying this prayer. We'll see in a second. But to realize that one is complete in Christ is sure proof against the dangers of immature Christianity. Which he defines, and he's right, is this. The constant search for spiritual novelties, the unnecessary anxieties and fear over status or requirements, the pride over small achievements which threaten the Christians in the modern world no less than in the ancient world. This is just the constant need. So this is what Paul's praying. This is a young church, less than 10 years old, planted by Epaphras in Colossae to the east of Ephesus where Paul was. And so he's, he's wanting to guard them. And so the goal, he says, of entering through the door of Jesus into the kingdom of God's beloved Son is you kind of got to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. He doesn't separate rescue and redemption from life in the kingdom. They're together. If you enter into this kingdom through Jesus, you'll walk in a manner that pleases Him and is worthy of Him, bearing fruit in every good work. And Theological language, justification, sanctification are inseparable, right? The person who's saved by Jesus is completely saved, not just from the penalty of sin, but from the power of sin, not just from bondage to Satan, but freedom to walk in new obedience. They are inseparable. And we saw this again because Paul has the book of Exodus in mind. Paul, we saw this in the book of Exodus that Israel was saved from their slavery and bondage to the evil empire of Egypt, brought to by God's power to the Mount Sinai where they received the law so they could walk in ways that pleased the Lord. And Paul uses two words to, to describe how life in the kingdom is. Walk, or literally walk around. We might say the manner of life. He had in mind kind of the way we do mundane things. The normal things of life. God wants us to do the normal, mundane things of life in a way that is fully pleasing to Him. The way we treat people in our workplace when they're really struggling. Kindness towards our children when they interrupt something we're doing. Patience towards our spouse when they get upset with us for something we did wrong, things like forgiving 70 times 7 or being generous to someone in need and not thinking about it, just the mundane things of life, which is convicting because we want to measure our faithfulness to Christ in post-worthy moments, not the mundane. We want to be able to post it on, on Instagram and Facebook, but these aren't the things where Jesus really wants our obedience. His kingdom doesn't create people who broadcast their good works but are dependent on him for the mundane of life or applying the gospel to the way we walk in ways so that we can live lives that are fully pleasing to him. Now, here's the thing. If that's, if that's all you hear is you've got to live life in a way that's fully pleasing to the son, you get defeated really quick because that's weighty. You look inside yourself and you see, I'm not, like, if the goal is to walk in the mundane things, the most basic parts of life, in a manner that's fully pleasing to the Lord, the one, that, like, he's righteous, he's come from the Father, he deserves all things because he holds all things together, fully pleasing to him in every small detail. You look inside, you look at that requirement, and quickly 
you're going to notice the gap and feel defeated. And so remember this. This is where Paul is taking us. We are walking in the kingdom of God's beloved son and life in that kingdom does not only have the goal of walking in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, but does so by the power of the Lord. This whole new realm of belonging to Jesus means they are strengthened and empowered from him. Verse 11 now. Scoot back to verse 9. And so from the day we heard, we've not ceased to pray for you, asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened now, verse 11, with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The power in the kingdom is not like you got a ticket to get in and now you've got to kind of figure out how to live the Christian life by your own effort because one day you're going to arrive at heaven. No, this is a, end, is a door into a whole new realm of being and in this realm of being in the kingdom, the power that is available to us comes from Jesus so that you can be strengthened with Not a little bit of power, not just kind of dishing it out and like I give my children candy just a little bit, can't have too much. Being strengthened with all power, not by your strength, not by your might, according to his glorious might. And here's how it comes to us. This is why Paul's praying, verse 9. And so from the day we heard it, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking what? That you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, when Paul uses will, he doesn't typically mean some secret plan that God has out there for you. And if you figure it out, then you'll flourish. When he uses will, most of the time he means, and here specifically, he means God's plan of redemption as revealed in the scriptures. And the words surrounding his will give us clues that that is what Paul is referring to because he uses words like knowledge and wisdom and understanding. And you see what he's praying. I want you to have all of the power of Jesus in your life so that you're strengthened. Here's how. God's word produces all the fruit that needs to be produced so you can walk in a manner worthy. So I'm going to pray because it's gospel sufficient. It's enough. It's all you need. Grow deep into it. Actually, he refers to four things that this word is going to produce. So the day I heard I'm praying so that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, like it would, the gospel would just fill up your life so much so that you're just beginning to see all of life through it so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord and bearing fruit, increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened, bearing fruit in every good work. Don't equate, and here's the problem. I think a lot of times we hear 
that, that we have to be like really deep in the scriptures to have really deep fruit produced in our lives. We begin to think, I just got to study doctrine. And some of you know people who that's all they've done. It's like they're, it's like, uh, it's like they're Christians with really big heads and really small hands. But that's not the goal, right? You, you can't put these at odds with each other. The, the goal is that we would grow in under, understanding of God's word so that we would be bearing in our lives every good work. The knowledge of God's word has to produce, should be producing much fruit in our lives. Every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God is the other one that produces. It's not simply enough to simply know the basics of the Bible. If you know the basics of the Bible, you'll be frustrated. You have to go deep. Calvin put it this way. I love this. He says, what's said here, the Colossians, it's got to be taken by every believer and said to ourselves. And we have to draw this as a common exhortation that we always make, must always make progress in doctrine and piety, both until death. Never stop short. It's a life of dedication to understanding, knowing, and deepening our understanding of God's word. The moment we stall out there the moment we cease to have and experience the power of God in our lives. Thirdly, being strengthened with all joy. This is what God produces by his word. The economy, and you notice this, the economy of the kingdom of God is always upside down, right? It's, it just seems so humble and simple that God would give his power through his word. There's got to be something more. I can't tell you how much of my Christian life was just derailed early on because I just thought, it's, this just seems too simple, really. If you grow in your understanding of the Bible, fruit will get produced. It's got to be something more out there. I, I have a stack of books where I was trying to find the secret to the Christian life, and it's not a secret. It's revealed right here. Grow in the understanding and you will be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. The Christian who is investing and growing in their understanding of God's word is storing up riches that will be spent in seasons of suffering so that you can endure with all joy. So trials are not only to be endured, but endured patiently and with joy because we know that there is much to be gained there because they come from God's good hand. How do you know in the midst of your suffering that God's good hand is at work because you have spent time in Scripture and seen him defeating enemies of his people and bringing them to green pastures and still waters or providing safety for them in the midst of battles or always, always, always having good intentions. That is stored up from time in his word so we can strengthen for all endurance and joy. There are spiritual riches to be gained from our crosses. But you have to store up for those times so that the end result, giving thanks to the Father because the Father has provided all we need in Jesus. And if it's come from the Father's hand, it really he really is all that we need. This is his plan. This is his power. This is his kingdom. He is, as a result, provided the all-sufficient one. And therefore, we give thanks for what the Father has done. 
that we could never do for ourselves. So life in this kingdom is marked by rescue and redemption. The door we enter into, though, in this new realm, just need his help to believe what is most true about us. So the gospel's got to come in in deepening ways. Let me close with this. Jeffrey Jesevics was spent 16 years in prison for a crime he didn't commit, but he had learned in there the new way of living. And so when he was exonerated by new evidence that set him free, it was hard You just learn to walk as a captive. It's hard to learn to walk in the new freedom that you have. So he walked out the door into a realm of new being. And this is what he said. At times I wasn't quite sure whether I was really out and free. I felt like a little finger was tapping me on the back and saying, What are you doing? You don't belong out here. They do. You don't. They don't realize that you don't. And so I just did something that I wanted to do for a long time. I wanted to sit outside in the nighttime and, have, and not have to go inside. And so I could see a few stars and lights out some of the distance in other houses. It was just a minor thing that had been taken away from me. But you see what he said, what he was doing? It's like, I had this constant voice that was telling me, this is not, you don't belong here. You're not really free So what I had to do is I had to go live in this new reality for a while to convince myself this is now who I really am. I really am free. So he'd find just something to draw him in. This is the way the gospel works, constantly. Constantly reminding us by the power of God, this is what I've done for you. This is how much I love you. Don't fall back into the old ways feed on this, be reminded of who I am. This is one of the reasons we gather for worship and we sing and we confess our sins because we just need weekly for God just to pull us out. Remember who you are. Remember what I've done. Now go walk in a manner worthy of what I have finished for you because my son is enough. Let's pray. Father, as we um, are forgetful people, And there's much sin in our lives and much unbelief. We pray. Strengthen us by the glorious power of Jesus through your gospel that we could walk in a manner that's fully pleasing to you and worthy of our King and Savior. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.